You are listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Jeff Mose. Isn't it true that the story of Christmas as you listen to Matt Reed today is just an unbelievable story, isn't it? It's one of the reasons we're doing this series together entitled, Who Needs Christmas? And we said the story of Christmas begins much before you and I begin to recognize it. That it doesn't start with a couple wondering, where in the world are they going to have a baby? It actually starts with an older couple wondering, will we ever have a child? It doesn't start with this young couple wondering exactly where we're going to have this baby or how in the world we became pregnant. It actually starts with an older couple wondering, will we ever be given the promise of God? The story of Christmas, we said, begins in the book of Genesis, not Matthew, not Luke. But it begins a long time ago when God stood before Abraham and he made a promise to Abraham, Abraham, listen. You are going to be blessed, and you're going to be blessing to this entire world. I'm going to make out of you this incredible nation, and you're going to be blessed like nobody on this earth before. And we began to recognize together that what the world needed more than anything else was the world needed Christmas. Now, this morning, I want to talk about the fact that I also believe that God needs Christmas. Not only did the world need Christmas, but God needs Christmas. Now, some of you from a theological perspective are going to say, Jeff, listen, God doesn't need anything. God is self-sufficient. He's independent. He doesn't have needs. True. But think about it for a moment from a parent's perspective. Ever sat with your kids, usually in a time of discipline, and said to your kids, listen, if you only understood how much I loved you, you wouldn't be able to fully trust me at a time like this. I mean, isn't it true often as parents we have sort of this internal conversation where we want to say to our kids and communicate as clearly as we can, if you only understood how much I love you. And usually as we have that conversation, our kids' eyes are glazed over and they say, in effect, hey, Dad, are you done yet? What's for dinner? But we're always trying to communicate that, aren't we? Can you imagine for a moment what it's like to be able to communicate that face-to-face with a high schooler, maybe a 10-year-old, but can you imagine what it'd be like for the God of the universe to somehow communicate that to you? This invisible God that we can't see, this God who is spirit, how in the world does he communicate to us that he loves us? Can I tell you how he communicates to you that he loves us? Christmas. The way that the God of the universe communicates to you and I that he loves us is through Christmas. We talked last week about a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. Do you remember Paul, when he started as Saul, was actually a Christian hater. He persecuted Christians, but he came to know Christ as Savior and Lord of his life on the road to Damascus, and everything began to change. But Paul was this Pharisee, this Old Testament scholar, if you will, and now he's looking back. And he's beginning to put the pieces of the puzzle together. He's beginning to understand this one who knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And now he has sort of this aha moment. In the book of Galatians chapter 4, the apostle Paul, looking back and putting it all together, says this, but when the set time had fully come. In other words, when God had everything in this world exactly how he wanted it to be, when there was a highway system that was created to go out from Rome, when there were seaports that were put together so the communication of the gospel could go out, when there was peace in this land, when everything was just as God wanted it to be, God sent forth his son. 
Now, here's what I'd like to do today, and these are Christmas questions, if you will. I want to ask a couple of questions about the Christmas story. Here's the first question I'm going to ask, just simply this. Why did God have to send somebody? Ever thought of that? I mean, sure you have. We all have, haven't we? Why in the world did God need to send his son? Why in the world did God have to cram himself into a human body, into a little baby, and be born in this world? Why did he have to do that? Why didn't he just send a messenger? Well, Paul goes on when he says, but when the time, the set time had fully come, God sent forth his son. And now here it gets a little bit worse, doesn't it? Born of a woman born under the law. In other words, God, why did you have to come as a little baby? Why did you have to be born as somebody who had the needs being met by their mom and their dad? Why couldn't you come as a fully born human being? Why couldn't you walk onto this face of this earth just like us? And why in the world did you have to be born under the law? Why couldn't you come as a law to yourself? Why did you have to submit yourself to the law? But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? Because he wanted to do what the judges and the prophets could not do. He wanted to do what the law and all of the regulations of the Old Testament couldn't do. Because he wanted to do what the prophets could not themselves accomplish. He wanted to do what even the word of God could not do in itself. God made a decision that he wanted to do something relational, and if he wanted to do something relational, the reality was this, he was going to have to do something incredibly personal. That's why I'm convinced that God needed Christmas. That somehow in the providence of God, in order to communicate his love to us, he wanted to make sure that he had Christmas. Can I remind you today that God decided he would do something incredibly personal in order to sort of remove these obstacles that existed between you and the holy God and somehow allow us to enter into a relationship with him? How in the world would you and I ever know that God was standing with us if God had not appeared to us? It wasn't going to take another message. It wasn't going to take another letter. It wasn't going to take another miracle. It wasn't going to take another angel. God himself had to show up. In fact, the scripture is going to tell us that God actually stages a demonstration. Because isn't it true that actions speak louder than words? And God made a decision that what I'm going to do is I'm going to demonstrate my love for you. Now, people, listen, even if you're a skeptic here this morning, you don't believe in Christianity. Isn't it true that we're still talking about this story to this very day? That actually the beginning of the Christmas story takes place some 4,000 years ago when God makes this promise to Abraham, and then it is brought to fruition in the birth of Jesus Christ some 2,000 years ago. And now even today, some 2,000 years after the birth of Jesus Christ, we're still talking about the story. I mean, think about it for a moment. A lot has happened in human history over the past 2,000 years. Do you remember it? Most of us don't know names or times or places or dates. We recognize some things happened, but only the story of Jesus, the birth of this Jewish Babel, somehow in the armpit of the Roman Empire, we are still talking about to this very day. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. 
daughtership. That somehow when you and I recognize his love for us, when you and I recognize as he communicates his love to us that it's set on us and he's drawing us to himself, that you and I come to know Christ as our Savior. Paul says it best as he goes on in Romans chapter 5 to say this, but God demonstrates. In other words, God shows up. In other words, God proves his love. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. In other words, that thing that had been prophesied, that thing that had been talked about all from the Old Testament until now, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. And then I love these words. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A little bit hard to understand the gravity of that statement, isn't it? While we were yet sinners. And you always take a portion of Scripture, you interpret it, what did it mean to the original audience, and what is it going to mean by transportation of the power of the Spirit of God to this very day? While I hadn't even thought of the sins that I was going to commit, while they hadn't even been conceived in my mind, God, seeing all things, made a decision that he would die for me. But I'm convinced that the Apostle Paul is actually speaking incredibly personally in this portion of Scripture. I think the Apostle Paul is thinking to himself, before Jesus came, you know what I was doing? I was persecuting Christians. You know what I was doing? I was hating people that followed after Jesus. Before his death and burial and resurrection of the cross, he knew every single one of my sins and he died for me. People, can you imagine the love of God in that sort of a fashion that even though while we were yet sinners, still in rebellion toward God, he died for us? The second question I'm going to take a look at in this, and then why did Jesus have to die? We talked about why has Jesus had to be born? Why did he have to come as a little baby? But now I want to ask this simple question. Well, why did this baby have to die? I mean, you've thought that before in your own mind, haven't you? I mean, think about it for a moment. Why did he have to die the cruel death on a cross? Why did he have to go through all of the pain, all of the gore, all of the difficulty, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? I mean, why in the world did he have to go through that? Why couldn't he just stand on the hillside before his ascension, look out over the audience and say to everybody, listen, you're forgiven? Why couldn't he say, I just spoke to my father and my father wanted me to pass on this message. Every single one of you who knows me as Savior and Lord is forgiven. Why did he have to go through the crucifixion? Why couldn't he just announce his grace? Well, I want to give you a couple of reasons this morning. First of all, I think this, nobody would have believed it otherwise. They wouldn't have. Do you remember all throughout the New Testament when Jesus would come and do healings on people, he would often say to them, and by the way, your sins are forgiven. Do you remember the religious community often would go on tilt, not because he healed somebody or raised somebody from the dead, but what bothered them so much is that he actually claimed to have the power to forgive sin. The religious community will often think to themselves, hey, listen, only God can forgive sin. After all, all sin is offense against the holy God, and only God can forgive sin. They were right in that. But Jesus was saying, listen, here's the reason that I can forgive sin. is because the reality is this, I am God. And I'm convinced if he had just announced forgiveness rather than making his way to the cross and dying on our behalf, nobody would have believed him. This would have never been written down. It wouldn't have passed the first century. 
But then secondly, I also want you to see this. Here's why I couldn't just announce forgiveness, because God is the author of life. God is the author of life. You recognize that, don't you? I just had my sixth grandchild. I know what you're thinking. You are not old enough to have grandchildren. Yep, I am. It's my sixth. Simeon, our youngest, and his wife Piper had a little baby called Malcolm Charles. Whenever I hold a little baby, do you experience this too? Or I think to myself, this is incredible. The idea that a baby makes its way through the birth canal and that all of a sudden pressure comes on its lungs from the outside, and even though it's been an amniotic fluid the entire time, and all of a sudden it knows instinctively to begin to breathe air and the lungs suck in. It's amazing when you look at a little baby and it has these eyes that have been formed and it looks right at you. When grandpa makes some sounds for the little baby, it has the ability to hear and it checks in. Whenever you stand in the face of life, don't you begin to recognize that God is the author of life? And here's what I want you to hear me say this morning, and I think this is critical to understanding the Christmas story. Whenever you and I dishonor life, you and I dishonor God. To dishonor the source of life is an expression of ingratitude deserving forfeiture of life itself. In other words, when I recognize that God is the giver of life, here's what I think to myself, God, I owe. I mean, the reality is I owe, you owe, we all owe God a debt of ingratitude for the fact that you and I have been given life. And to somehow disregard God as the giver of life, to not live in thanks and gratitude Him to him has got to be the greatest offense against a holy God. Isn't it true that every day you and I ought to wake up and say, God, thanks for the gift of life. God, whatever you say to me, because you're the giver of life, my response to you is yes. I mean, whatever you called me to do, here's the reality, because you gave me life and breath, I want to make sure that I do it. What's crazy about every single one of us, we didn't choose when we were going to be born, God did. We don't choose when our life is going to come to an end. God does. But for some reason, we think we live this independent life where you and I can shake our fist at God and say, in effect, I will live life however I want. When in reality, people, that just simply isn't true. What's mind-boggling to me comes next in this portion of Scripture As Jesus not only goes to the cross of Calvary and dies for us, he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he comes to his disciples and he says to them, head to Jerusalem, and they all head to Jerusalem. And there they stand in the very same streets where they took Jesus, dragged him through the streets, put a crown of thorns on his head, mocked him, spit on him, laughed at him, and then eventually nailed him to a cross just outside of Jerusalem in a town garbage dump. And now here they are, Peter and James and Andrew and John. And now because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they're going to begin to speak. And they're actually speaking to the very people that called the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, called for his death, called for him to be executed, and now he's going to speak to them. And I love the words that he has to say. He says, listen, you disown the holy and the righteous one. In other words, Jesus. And you ask that a murderer be released to you. You know who they're talking about, don't you? They're talking about Barabbas. The Jewish people, those who persecuted and eventually called for the crucifixion of Jesus, were given an option. I'll either release Barabbas 
or at least this one known as Jesus. And they had a decision to make, and they said, in effect, release Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Release this one who took life and actually crucify the one who is the giver of life. And then if that's not show-stopping enough, here's what he goes on to say. They're speaking to the very people that crucified Jesus, and they say, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. You disregarded the author of life. You didn't actually think about the person that gave you life and breath to which you owe a debt of ingratitude. How in the world can you possibly then crucify this one who called you into existence, into being? You disregarded the author of life. You abused the supplier, and you deserve to lose the supply. In other words, Jesus demonstrated the magnitude of our ingratitude, and his death demonstrated the magnitude of his love. People, you cannot demonstrate love without sacrifice. Isn't it true? Sometimes you say to your spouse again and again, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I say to you, listen, show me that you love me. And God made a demonstration. He decided that somehow he would demonstrate his love for us through the coming of Jesus Christ and his crucifixion on the cross. That's why the apostle Paul would say, listen, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And if you really love somebody and they're really good, it's possible you would give their life for them. Very doubtful, but possible. And then here's the context of this verse. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One of the reasons I'm convinced that God needed Christmas was to demonstrate his love for you, was to put on a demonstration of how much he cared for you. So now the scripture says, but when the time was just right, when God had everything the way he wanted it to be, when there was a seaport, when there was trails that were made to somehow allow the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ to go, when there was peace in the Roman times, when everybody understood all the difficulty of what happened in the Old Testament and the sacrificial system, when that didn't feel as though it was enough. Now the scripture says, an angel comes to a young man by the name of Joseph, who was pledged, betrothed, a woman by the name of Mary who was found to be pregnant. And the scripture says that Joseph is thinking to himself, what should I do? Should I divorce her? Should I humiliate her? Should I marry her? Should I pretend this doesn't exist? Should we run away together? What should I do? And then listen to what the angel has to say. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, I want you to realize, Joseph, that David or God is on the move, that somehow you who come from the house and the line of David are the very fulfillment of the promise of God that I made way back in the Old Testament and recognize when the time was just right. The one who you're betrothed to has actually become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you were to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. All of this, it says, took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet, and now he's going to quote the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. 
the virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That it wasn't possible to communicate through an angel, that it wasn't possible to communicate just simply through a word. It wasn't possible through a miracle or anywhere else. Here's what I needed to do. I needed to step on the scene of human history in order to communicate God's with you. He's for you. He's on your side. That's why one of the most familiar verses in all of Scripture comes from John chapter 3, verse 16, where it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever, which is any of us here today, believes in him would not perish. But here's what you'll have, everlasting life. I love the word there that simply says, believes. It literally means to transfer your trust. In other words, it's not enough to know about Jesus, to believe that he came at Christmas time, even to believe that he can save you. There eventually comes a moment in time when you have to transfer your trust. If I could just illustrate it for you for a moment this morning, if I were to say to you, do you believe this chair exists, you'd say, Jeff, I can see the chair, I believe it exists. If I were to say, do you believe this chair could hold me, you'd say, Jeff, you've gained a little bit of weight but I'm pretty sure that chair can hold you. How would I ultimately prove that this chair exists and that it can hold me? Sit in it, right? Here's what we say with regards to Jesus Christ. It's not enough to say, I believe that Jesus exists. It's not enough to say, I believe that Jesus could save me. Ultimately, here's what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. I put my whole weight, my whole trust in him. Today, as we close this service together, I want to lead you in an opportunity of prayer to receive Christ as your Savior. And prayer is not some magical formula of receiving Christ as your Savior. It's just simply saying to God, hey, listen, I'm transferring my trust. I've been trusting in my goodness. I've been trusting in my works. I've been trusting in my righteousness. And what I want to do is I want to transfer my trust to you. Because I don't only believe that Jesus exists, I not only believe that he can save me, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit in him, rest in him, believe in him, trust in him. I'm going to put my whole weight in this one who came to demonstrate his love for me. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, giving you an opportunity to transfer your trust and then I'm going to ready us as we come together to celebrate the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus through communion. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you this morning in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to give you thanks that at Christmas time, Father, Jesus came in order to communicate his love for us. And now, Lord, we simply acknowledge that we want to transfer our trust, not from ourselves, but to you. So, Lord, in this simple prayer, we cry out before you, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I believe and I trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ for me. And Father, in this moment in time, I commit, I transfer my trust to you. And I ask that you would save me. I ask that you would make me a child of the very holy God. Father, for many of us here today that have already trusted you as Savior and Lord of our lives, this is a time for us of remembrance. So as we come to you in this time of prayer, Father, could you call us into a right relationship with you? Could we confess our sins, simply agree with you, this is sin in our lives, 
Receive your forgiveness. Receive the restoration that happens to the finished work of Jesus Christ. So, Father, in quiet and silence this morning, could you ready our hearts as we come to the communion table? Hear our silent prayers, I pray. If you were encouraged by today's talk, check out our Sunnybrook Unscripted podcast where we talk real life, answer hard questions, and take a deeper practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. For other talks, videos, and live gatherings, rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Download the Sunnybrook Church app or visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.